0: With over 1,100 cases of coronavirus in India, this is Day 5 of the 21-day National Lockdown. Thank you for tuning in for the Day 5 discussion of the National Lockdown. Uh, Yusuf, you can say hi to our listeners today.
1: Hello, guys. I hope you guys didn't miss
0: me too much yesterday. (laughs) Yes, we did actually. Uh, Unfortunately, Yusuf got a little busy yesterday. And like I said, we had recorded uh, something earlier. But it didn't kind of work out, so we had to... But I told my listeners that we had a contingency plan. So I quickly uh, put another uh, podcast out there.
1: Your <laughs>
0: contingency plans? What's the matter? We prepared So sadly, uh, you know, you were not there. But I promised listeners that our... Uh, Pradhan Mantri ji Jho aaj Man ki baat Karte hai Hum bhi aaj Apeni man ki baat Karenge I decided with Yusuf Ki hum dono Aaj apeni man ki baat Share There was a lot of Stuff that's happening A lot of things That we wanted to Discuss about But no We have decided Against this Because We have a very Exclusive A very Very Exclusive Interview With A pulmonary Critical care Physician From the States who has been herself treating COVID-affected patients. And I think, Yusuf, this is really big for us.
1: No, absolutely. And it's even bigger for our listeners. Because, you know, times such as this, what better to hear from the horse's mouth itself.
0: Yeah, I mean, when I started this uh, podcast, I really never imagined, man, that we would, uh, you know, reach this point where uh, we could be, you know, interviewing uh, frontline health workers who are, you know, fighting this pandemic.
1: Yeah, no, see, that's why once you begin something.
0: Like Ashudeed said, one step at a time.
1: (laughs) Absolutely, one step at a time. And this is quite a, this, this, I might say it will be a leap once we end up with the interview. But really, guys, please take the interview really seriously. This doesn't get bigger than this.
0: Absolutely. And I really want to thank all the listeners for their support and encouragement. uh, That motivated Yusuf and me to continue putting uh, the podcast out there every single day. And we will continue to do that for the next uh, few days that we'll be in the lockdown. And hopefully beyond that too. Moving on to the interview, like I said earlier, we have a professional doctor with us who's a pulmonary critical care physician working in the US treating the COVID-19 affected patients and she has requested us to not name her or her organization or the state that she belongs to and we have respected that. So I hope you guys listen in very carefully. Some of you might be feeling that maybe it was better to have somebody from India but like I said, The purpose of this show, especially for those who are tuning in for the first time, the purpose of this show is to give you guys some perspective. We bring fresh perspective each day with each episode. And I think it's really important to hear from a person who works for a country that's perceived as a superpower and a developed nation, but is now struggling to fight this global pandemic. Listen in. Thank you for joining us, yeah. I know you're really busy uh, in the US uh, as a frontline health worker. These are very pressing times um, now considering that uh, the US has actually eclipsed China and Italy as the new epicenter for the COVID-19 virus. I firstly want to thank you for your efforts in helping uh, combat the virus and treating so many patients right now in the US. So, can you please share with us some key insights, uh, some information about, uh, you know, what's happening uh, in the states right now? What's the what's hap- What's the conversation like with the doctors? Uh, what are the concerns primarily, and also your experiences uh, with the patients that you've been treating who are infected with the COVID virus? So,
2: um, so let me start by saying that you know. Um, Uh, thankful enough where I work we haven't seen a surge yet uh for infected cases but um I was working in the ICU last week and I have a feeling that you know it's it's not far um from us reaching where New York is today unfortunately um Mm -hmm. obviously it's hard to give timelines as to when that's going to happen but it probably will and it will soon um this may be a good question for people who are actually working in New York, who the city which is seeing significant amount of COVID cases. Yeah, there are about 60,000
0: cases now. there. Mm. Right, and it's, mm. it's
2: ramping by, you know, by by the minute, Um, mm. but yes, so I have actually, I actually have physician friends who are frontline in New York uh, oh, okay. who I've spoken to and I, you know, I've, you know, I see their posts all the time and the bigger problem here for, you know, we're not, we're not we're physicians. We took our Hippocrates oath. We all want to work uh, through this and help people get get through this. The problem is that for the healthcare uh, workers, especially in New York, they're having significant, you know, uh, protective equipment shortage.
0: Yes, I've been reading a lot that is, about that. Yeah, yeah. Yes,
2: yeah, so that it's it's very hard for a frontline worker to go to work and not be equipped to take care of such patients. And I think that's really sad state of affairs. You would think that, you know, in a country where resources are not scarce like other countries, um, you would be well equipped, but unfortunately, you know, we are not.
0: And that's such a surprising thing I, I, that's such a surprising surprising thing to see because you know is. america is considered like such a superpower and this developed nation that you know people perceive it to be it's such a bizarre thing uh, to now hear from you the kind of problems that uh, you know we are facing uh, like uh, work health line workers in us are facing
2: right so they are actually like reusing their protective equipment just yes, so that they been can reading d- about that. That's, care that's, of. that's crazy yeah. that's crazy well you know these are dire times and this is what you do when You know, shit happens, unfortunately, um, if I'm allowed to
0: say that. In fact, uh, no, no, you can say everything, there's But uh, I, I was actually reading that nurses were protesting outside hospitals uh, because the supervisors were uh, asking them to, you know, reuse protective equipment, which they didn't want to. So I'd been reading you know, about that. it is
2: that. not the safest thing to do, I have to say. And as I said, I, I would consider myself lucky to be in a spot where um, we still have protective equipment available. But I don't know what's going to happen in the next week when the surge hits my town. And, you know, we may be in the same situation or as the same spot. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, the reason why, you know, we all go on social media, all the physicians, nurses, all the frontline healthcare workers are going on social media and telling people to stay home and social distance themselves is just so that we can prevent that surge from happening. And it, if it does, we at least have enough equipment available to, you know, take care of patients who are really sick. Um, so I, again, you know, I, I know you're doing this podcast and I would say this again, that stay home,
0: but that's don't come out
2: unnecessarily.
0: You are, you're absolutely right. And you know, this, this is the situation in India where in our prime minister also uh, conveyed the same message to all uh, the citizens here. But unfortunately your president uh, doesn't seem to believe that. And I've been really surprised to read that, uh, you know, domestic travel is still not completely, uh. Uh, I mean it hasn't been shut off and uh, it's just an advisory that has gone out and you know people can still actually take flights, uh, you know, domestic flights which is I think pretty crazy and the governor in New York also not uh, I think taking the whole situation very seriously and he actually called the idea of a lockdown really bizarre. He said it's going to be counterproductive and he doesn't see a reason why there should be a lockdown right now. So these kind of comments by politicians in America, h- how do you perceive these things? How do the doctors in US perceive these things? These comments by governor and other politicians in the U.S.?
2: You know, I uh, honestly I don't want to get into the political side of it and I would refrain myself from talking about the political part of it. I can only tell you from a physician aspect and from a doctor's perspective and from a human being's perspective, in all honesty, that yes, you know, um, it is going to be super hard if you lock down a country like India did. But um, at this point, in times of need... Um, Again, it's so hard to say what is the right or the wrong thing to do, and um, I, I, from my perspective, and from uh, from. I, I don't want to be judgmental i don't want to be anything i just want to tell people that you know no matter who says what please just stay home stay safe and don't come out if it's not absolutely necessary that's all i would say and again i would want to you know not get into the political aspect of it because no, there that's,
0: are fine. that's fine that's so
2: many you know
0: Yeah, we'll move on from that move on from that but you mentioned earlier about supplies and uh Yes. How there's a shortage of it now in US and yes. people are being forced to reuse some protective equipment. I've been even reading about yes. the shortage of uh, supplies in New York to an extent that they're saying that probably they only have one week more uh, where they can be, uh, you know, where ventilators can be available. Like after a week, they don't know if they have enough ventilators. And, you know, we're talking about America here. Uh, I can't even imagine if such a such a situation, uh, you know, comes to India. And uh, even yeah. doctors talking about uh, b- uh, them buying equipment uh, now from uh, brokers. They have actually been uh, bootlegging. There are, there are bootleg, bootleg supply, uh, suppliers now for equipment. And uh, there are brokers who are charging $17,000 now for equipment that's worth probably $2,500 because there's such an acute shortage. These kind of uh, things are just uh, bizarre. And I was reading that Detroit could also probably run out of ventilators completely very soon. With the number of cases that are coming. Yeah, up. so
2: so that is the issue, right? Um so if you look at states like New York or um, you know, other states which are affected significantly, um uh, uh, Washington, for instance, Seattle. Um, uh, the problem is that, you know, you are only equipped, so you you can only prepare so much when shit hits the fan you really don't know where you are headed things can get better or things may get even worse than what you have seen so it's hard to judge uh i think what i would say is that preemptiveness is important Getting prepared for a surge is important. So what we are doing right now is literally just making protocols in case we come to a point where we have that surge, like New York, so that we are a little little better equipped than what they were. Again, you know, it is hard to say or hard to judge what's going to happen when that time comes, because in those dire times, who knows you know all those protocols fail and things don't work the way you thought they would work so your planning definitely helps but i don't know where at what point it actually fails and you know you you don't know what's coming next
0: that's true that's um, true but uh, could you share some uh, i mean experience now of what's what's the mood like i was very actually happy i must uh, tell all the listeners uh, when you told me that no, we guys are very pepped up. Like all the doctors are really charged, and they really want to, you know, uh, you know, get into work and help the patients out. The mood is very, I mean, positive in a sense. It I, is. I, I was very I heartening really to hear to that. I that. that. I was very impressed to hear that. Please uh, tell us more about. So
2: that. let me let me tell you something. You know, when you, I know it sounds all philosophical um, and maybe nonsensical, but when you actually take the oath, when you you know, finish your medicine and then you go on to do your training. The only thing you hope for and, you know, wish for is that you're able to, you know, do the best that you possibly can in your profession and help people out. And I think these are the times when you have to step up and say, well, yes, you know, this is what I did medicine for and this is what I want to do to help people. And This is the right time to do it. So I think at least people I know and, you know, personally or professionally, actually both, uh, we are all ready um, to help when the need comes. And as the need is now... um, and we're more than happy more than happy to chip in we're more than happy to work extra hours to just get over this wow. situation and wow. I, I don't think anybody is going to back out at this point those nurses I really say that I have significant respect for them because they are more frontline than all of us are because they are actually you know uh, right there in the rooms taking care of patients constantly so I think more respect to them absolutely um, absolutely uh, so um, they're risking their so lives yeah, every so, single, I mean, day. All, single day yeah. exactly so mm. we we I don't I'm not gonna say we wait for such times, but I think unfortunately, we are in those times, and I think this is our time to give back the society. Absolutely. so that is
0: what we all are trying to do yeah, um, yeah so uh, just giving us uh, sort of an insight into you know what happens uh, inside the hospital when you're treating the patients you were telling me earlier when you were having a conversation about the kind of equipment gear that you need it's it's yes. mandatory so could you uh, elaborate a little on that the kind of equipment yeah, gear so that uh, every healthcare worker needs who especially who's treating a COVID infected patient uh, just so you know every, uh,
2: every hospital every hospital has different personal protective equipment available I don't know what's available in other hospitals. Some hospitals are using the usual N95 masks. Uh, It's a green mask that sits perfectly on your face. It's fitted for your face, actually. Um, So a lot of hospitals are using that. Uh, There are other hospitals which are using respirators, which uh, we are also using at this point. And then there's another equipment called a PAPR device. A lot of hospitals are using that. Um, So I think all of these uh, are currently being used. Uh, The unfortunate thing is, you know, once uh, you have surge-like, other states did um those equipments kind of lag behind because these have to be cleaned not the n95s but the respirators and the papers have to be cleaned um and to get when you have a surge and you have like multiple patients um and the providers need to go into the room even if it's for emergency purposes you need those uh, that turnaround time for cleaning so i think uh um, and what's the
0: turnaround time for cleaning know, of the respirators and the papers
2: so yeah that is a good question. I actually don't know. I think it's two to four hours, but I'm not exactly sure. I would, I don't want to give hmm. out wrong information.
1: Okay. Uh,
2: hmm. but, uh, but, you know, but yes, yeah, so you have to give that turnaround time for those uh, devices to be cleaned for you to get back, get them back and you re- reuse them. Um, and those are reusable products. The so respirators and pappers are reusable products. You cannot have a separate one for everybody in the hospital. It's not.
1: But feasible.
0: it's a mandatory, um, but both the things are mandatory for you to wear. No, they're before
2: not. You. Uh, no, no, not exactly. Not every hospital has a respirator and paper. Uh, a lot of other hospitals are using N95 masks, as I said, hmm. which are. You know, technically speaking, uh, not reusable. You use it once and then you throw it out. But uh, as I said, a lot of hospitals are reusing it, which means that they have, you know, provided one N95 to one doctor and then that they keep holding on to that. Um, And, you know, every hospital has a different way of uh, using personal protective equipment. You need gloves. um, You need, obviously, a face shield. You need um, eye covers if you're not wearing glasses. Um, you definitely need uh, you know you need a body shield which means you can wear like gowns or yeah things
0: I've, like I've that been, I, I heard there's a medical gown that you also need right
2: yes that, definitely so you you need you it's a it's a it's a process to actually you know wear all of this go into the room come back out remove all the things uh, because you cannot be walking around with all of all, the, all those things obviously because once you've stepped inside the room and you're coming out All of those are considered contaminated, Um, so all of them need to come out. So the next time you go into a patient's room, you have to redo the whole process. So how much time does it
0: take, uh, you know, for you to first wear it and then go inside the room where you are treating the patient, come out? Yeah. So yeah. So we all received
2: we all received training actually. to do this, to actually gown up and you know do the make take the appropriate steps. There are like there are there is a person at least my again I cannot talk for any other hospital. I can only talk about my hospital. Uh, we have one person who actually has a checklist in their hand and they read the checklist off to you step by step, and you follow each step to the T. So like the first step would be clean your hands with the sanitizer. So you do that. Step two would be wear a gown, make sure the gown has no problems or defects in it. Step three would be, uh, you know, wear your uh, respirator or the paper, so depending on which one you are fitted for. Um, so there, there are steps that you have to follow. So that's finishing. So in the beginning, let me say in the beginning, obviously, because it was so new for everybody, it was taking much longer. It was taking good about eight to 10 minutes to do that whole set uh, but i think now we are much faster because we have done it a few times so you you know it comes it's like you do it a hundred times and now you're like so used to following the steps so you become much faster um, so i think we have we now do it in i would say five five minutes or less even lesser actually we do it fairly fast now wow. um, <laughs> but yes it, it's still it's still time consuming because you know you are still taking five to six minutes or seven minutes or sometimes 10 minutes, depending on how often you've used it to put all that gear on, to go inside the room. And then once you step out, you're taking the same amount of time to actually get everything off of you.
0: Yeah, of course, of course. Um, And what do you, uh, how much do you think people, like the doctors who don't have access to this entire equipment that you just mentioned earlier, how much are they exposing themselves uh, to the risks of uh, contracting the disease?
2: I do feel that a lot of them are wearing N95s. From what I can tell, uh, yes, the N95s. The, the, a lot, of, some of them may be reusing their N95s, but I, I, I don't think anybody is going inside the rooms without appropriate equipment. Again, I may be absolutely wrong, and there may be, you know, hospitals in the community where people do not have. Equipment and it's hard for me to answer that question, unfortunately. Yeah, because I'm um, only trying
0: to imagine scenarios in India wherein I'm not too sure how many hospitals and how many doctors have access to equipment like the ones you just mentioned. Uh, I mean, of course, I I don't. But have we, a I, I think
2: we do have N95s. I, I'm pretty sure we have N95s in India. And again, as I the CDC guidelines are changing, like it's it's they're changing so fast so there may be a time when the guidelines change and they talk about like not wearing the n95s and just wearing a regular surgical mask um i i think they may have changed already while we speak i don't i i haven't looked at the last okay. guidelines okay. uh past 24 hours so i don't quite know
0: could you share uh you know what the experience was like interacting with a patient who's infected uh what, <clears throat> what any kind of communication that you might so, have had with a Anyone? So,
2: well, that's a good question. Unfortunately, uh, the patients I have seen have been intubated. So uh, really no uh, communication that I could have had with them. Uh, but, uh, you know, from what I can tell, you know, um, from my um, colleagues who probably took care of the patients before they got intubated or before a breathing tube went in, you um, there's, it's a sick population, I can tell you that, and it's really sad um, that, you know, people kind of like, things, things Things can go bad really fast, so it may just start as like an upper respiratory tract infection, just a cough, just a fever, but I've seen like, you know, people's oxygen levels suddenly going from like almost nothing, no requirement, to like, oh my god, now we have to put a tube down to help them breathe and put them on a breathing machine, so The drastic chain of events, I I think that's, uh, that's very scary. And it's, um, I I don't even know how to express it, unfortunately. I wish I had better words, but I don't. I
0: understand that. So you're saying it can, uh, you know, the situation changes very, very quickly. uh, Sometimes. Very
2: rapidly, yes. The deterioration Mm. is so rapid that you don't even have the time to like, you know, for a second you think that everything is okay and then you blink your eyes and we're on the totally, totally other end of the spectrum
0: and uh, you know, doctors have been demanding a more production of ventilators, and right. uh, there's been a shortage of that. So how does that really help um, in treating the patients?
2: So, um, so I think obviously if somebody is in respiratory failure, which means they cannot breathe on their own, their lungs need help. Uh, that is when the ventilators come in play. That's when they need to be intubated or have a tube down their throat to help them breathe and hook them to a breathing machine. So I think because the... Patients decline so fast and their oxygen requirements, uh, you know, go up so significantly. Um, uh, that is one reason why we need more ventilators, because if people are going to get sicker and sicker like they are, uh, you would need more breathing machines to help their lungs uh, the time things kind of get better. Um, and I think if you have more cases, more cases who are sicker, like in New York, they definitely need more ventilators to help those patients tide through that situation.
0: But don't you think uh, sometimes so these think, doctors can get into a dilemma as to how do they prioritize who gets the ventilators first? Because there are so only a limited number of them. That. Yeah.
1: Correct,
2: but we haven't reached that stage yet, which Italy was in, unfortunately. Uh, yes. and, um, unfortunately, we are we we are not in that stage where you know the Italian doctors had to really think about prioritizing. Um, so I'm I'm glad we are not in that spot, uh, where people are like, you know, where doctors have to make that judgment call, and I. It's not easy. It's just, it's if, if it comes to that, it's going to be an extremely hard decision to make.
0: No, um, I understand that. I understand um, that. Because you,
2: you, in the end, we are all dealing with lives here, and it's not our call to make. Um, you know what I mean? It's, it's just going to be a very 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 difficult thing if and, we go through it
0: and what are the recovery chances uh you know of patients who get infected
2: you know it's hard to again if percentages at this time where the target is constantly moving is going to be very hard to give there i cannot give you percentages um the data is coming out slowly and steadily there have been that have been patients who have recovered completely and then there have been patients who have not recovered there have been deaths too unfortunately now till all this is over until you know constant data comes out from all these cities which are seeing the surges that's the only time we can you know come up with numbers and percentages at this time I, I don't think I'm in that position to you know give you an accurate percentage of
1: yeah.
0: how but many since, people are
2: recovering and how many people um, I'm sorry and I'm not getting better
0: hmm. but since uh, there's no vaccine out there in the market to treat the patients and you know all the governments of the world are scrambling to find uh, find one um so what is the process that you guys follow uh, to help a patient so, recover know, to help been, a patient recover yeah so mm. there
2: have been so you know obviously you know you're trying to you put them on the if they're if their breathing fails you're trying to put them on the ventilator and giving them their lung support till the time the lungs recover uh and then you're trying to give them medication so there are certain trials clinical trials that are running at this time in different parts of the country uh some for antiviral medications some for um you know there are other medications that we are trying uh so i i'm I, Again, you know, it's hard. If we are still generating data as to what is going to help, it's hard to know. um It's only when these trials will so show some fruitful results can all of us say that all right, this medication actually did work.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what uh, I wanted to understand. You know, what kind of medication then you then you give to these patients because you know you are also not sure what's going to So again, you reason. know, I
2: can go. I can go into the medical aspect of it. So there are some trials on antiviral. There's a specific antiviral medication that we are trying.
0: Uh,
2: There's one trial ongoing for that. And then there is other trials. I just spoke, uh, actually had a friend of mine tell me that there is a trial that they're doing at another hospital, a big hospital in the U.S. where they're trying another medication, uh, which is basically... um, a medication that helps in preventing, you know, um, significant inflammatory response in the body. Um, so they're trying that medication. So they're still recruiting patients. So it's, as I said, it's hard to give out numbers and percentages and, you know, saying that this worked and this did not work. It's only when things start to show some benefit, will some data come out and, you know, people can say, well, this worked and this did not work. So we are trying things, but I, I don't have good data for anything at this time. Um, uh, it's only t- only time can you know tell um while we are doing all of this obviously you know supporting the patient in whatever way you can till you know something works or their lungs uh, hopefully recover on their own
0: all right and uh, and i believe uh, you know people who already have some respiratory issues and some ailments they're i think at a higher risk of uh, getting yes, infected. yes they are unfortunately so what, yes so, so what kind of chronic stuff? uh Yeah.
2: Chronic, any kind of chronic lung disease, uh, be it bad asthma, be it COPD, be it interstitial lung disease, any kind of bad lung disease for that matter, uh, just puts you at a higher risk. uh, Okay. And obviously, if you have, yes. And then, you know if you have if you, your age unfortunately if you're older uh, come in the older population then you're you're definitely higher risk compared to regular population having said that I have seen you know um, younger patients get affected as well um, and not personally but like um, you know anecdotal where my friends who are actually working as physicians have seen younger patients get affected
0: uh, but did, was there, there a, but know. was there a pattern that you saw in the patients that you were treating uh, is there are there were there some similar patterns that you saw in the patients
2: so the, the older uh, so again for me, there were older patients um they had previous like tons of previous comorbidities uh but again you know that's just we're we're talking about a single center um, yeah
0: very small of uh, when you
2: look at yeah we're i'm talking about like almost negligible population like if you talk to somebody who's working in new york uh, who is like taking care of like active covid patients right now who pretty bad uh they can probably give you more data as to what kind of pattern they are seeing in their patient population uh but i it's it's hard to it's hard to know um at this point in time i'm sure as i said you know as as things progress and move forward people will kind of like come out with papers and data to help support or help you, you know other other hospitals and other doctors
0: Yeah, I'm sure. But have you been in touch with anybody in India, the doctors, what they have been saying, what what experiences have they been sharing?
2: You know, the only thing I've, uh, um, I've heard from India is that there is, it's, it's, I I think similar to what we have here at this time with lack of uh, personal protective equipment. Um, So um, I, I'm not, I I haven't spoken to anybody who has taken care of COVID patients directly. So I don't have, you know, the medical aspect of it. Uh, My friends are trying to procure like uh, personal protective equipment for like their hospital staff to see, you know, um. But I think they're they're getting some hiccups, and I am not exactly sure what those are. But it's just so hard, and I don't know if it's because people um, have personal protective equipment that they grabbed and they have it at home. Or I I don't know what the connotations or what why why we are lacking personal protective equipment. I'm guessing because we have to you know use it so so often, and that's why you know um, we're lacking it. But I it's hard for me to you know comment on what's happening in india because i'm not physically there but
0: uh, what do you what do you feel about uh the kind of testing that's happening in us right now do you think uh it's been it's been good enough i mean that's that's helped in a way of uh, you know identifying cases quickly or you know we're still not doing enough so, testing there
2: so you know again you know it's very hard to say that because we have so if we do we have so many people affected that getting t- testing everybody would in an ideal world yes we should test most people however with the resources being scarce it's just super hard to test everybody now having said that uh you know the testing every state uh, department is running tests the turnaround time is it's not it's not fast let me tell you that it takes time for test results to come back mm-hmm. but most hospitals are trying to you know get their own tests running so that they can do it in-house and they can get a faster turnaround time um like my hospital just got tests uh their own tests so we are trying to do host testing in house however having said that if the test doesn't take two hours it still takes a couple of hours and it's run a couple of times in the day which means that you know if somebody comes in in the middle of the night the testing will happen the next morning so again the turnaround time you know can be anywhere from like 12 12 hours to 24 hours oh okay. um, so it's still taking
1: time although it's
0: i still did taking time although i did read that there's a, a us-based lab that has unveiled a portable test that can tell if someone has covid in like five minutes uh, so there's a lab that has unveiled a test like that uh, I'm,
2: i don't know if that test is in practice yet not yet uh, not yet it's not
0: in practice uh, right so i mean they're right. still i think uh trying to figure how to you know put it out there i guess uh, but, um, so tell us, uh, the whole process of, you know, when a person, uh, you know, decides to get tested as per, I mean, the CDC yes. protocols, uh, what's the process like?
2: So it, you know, it depends every, again, you know, it's a very, uh, hospital based and the protocols are very different for every, every medical center that you go to, um, if you really suspect, so this is the first step is if you really think that you have COVID, which means you have the right symptoms for it, you've had an exposure. So if you have fevers, cough, and you're short of breath, then the first step would be that you actually call your primary care doctor. That would I would strongly recommend that everybody do that just because if you are high risk and you need to be tested, we need to make sure that when you come in to get tested, you know, the team is appropriately equipped, and we are not infecting other people around you, you know. Um, so uh, that's so. Our host, so in my hospital, if my a patient of mine, a clinic patient of mine ends up calling me saying that they're concerned and, you know, they have the right risk factors and their symptoms are consistent, I definitely, the first thing I tell them is call your primary care doctor and, you know, they probably, uh, the primary care doctor then sends them to the appropriate lab uh, and gets the testing done. And then depending on what the test results are, obviously, you know, we tell the patient to quarantine, not quarantine. Um, and then, you um, if you if you if you are being tested during that period of time till your test result comes back, then definitely you know you should be home quarantining yourself, not coming in contact with people. That's you know an automatic thing which you everybody should understand that if you are being tested till the test result is not negative, you are high risk. Um, mm-hmm. And once the test result comes back negative, sure you can you know continue to go back to your usual life, just maintain precautions, you know, social distancing and whatever we have talked about. So that's the route we are going. Uh, However, you know, things may be very different uh, in other hospitals because protocols are very different. Uh, The other thing is that if you are sick enough, which means that if you're really short of breath and you actually have to come to the hospital and you're calling um, the ambulance, you should just like let them know that these are your symptoms so that they are prepared. So the personnel who come and take you to the hospital are prepared enough and don't expose um, a lot of people. So I think it's, it's important um, from a patient perspective also, I think it's very important for them to, you know, recognize these symptoms, call the appropriate people, and then, you know, um, help uh, the uh, medical professional uh, just so we can prevent the spread and contain this virus
0: and how, does, so the, how, does, the, how does the test really happen exactly like exactly what, what what is done in that process
2: so there's a swab that we put in the nasopharynx I, again you know this is all medical um it's okay. not a blood test it's it's a swab that we put in the nasopharynx and i obviously don't, have never done the test myself so i may not be the best person um Uh, to answer this question Uh, but you literally have to like put a small swab in your nose literally at the back of your nose and try to get a sample and then they run it in the lab uh, to see if there is any virus that they identify
0: and you Uh, said currently the turnaround time can be up to 12 hours also for us
2: 24 hours i would say i mean yeah Uh, that but that's only that's that's just our personal uh testing that we're doing in the hospital so that's an in-house testing
0: Okay. Yeah, of course, like things in India are a little different and uh, the process is quite different.
2: It's not even even in India. It's like every hospital in the US will have different protocols. Some hospitals don't have the facility to run the tests in-house, so they have to send it to the state lab to get it tested.
0: Yeah, that's actually um, what happens and- in India as well. You have to send it to a lab, which, which might not be, right. you know, in your city. And then that lab sends, uh, has to get a confirmation from a virology lab in Pune. So, I mean, we have a process here as of now, but we have been increasing the number of labs in the country each day because earlier there were only government labs that were testing, but now there are a lot of private labs that have been roped in. Uh, so we have uh, more labs added that are that have helped in increasing the number of people we are testing each day. But of course, random testing still remains a big debate. Uh, how do we ever come to that? And that's probably the only way to get the real numbers. So where do you see this? As I this? said, you know, the, yeah. the,
2: it's, I, in an ideal world, yes. In an ideal world. Uh, but it's just hard to do that. With um, this resources being uh, scarce.
0: Yeah, that's, I, I totally get that. So So where do you see this going? I mean, where do you see an end to this?
2: I, it's such a hard thing to answer. So hard. Um, um, I, you know, I was. The hope was that by April, hopefully, everything will plateau and uh, we'll not have any more surges. But now, with what's happening in New York and what happened in Seattle, it is a very, very difficult question. I, it's, I cannot. I would love to answer it, and I, my hope is that, you know, well, we still go by the fact that by April, everything will settle down. But I I don't know. I don't know where we are headed at this time.
0: Thank you so much uh, for giving us time. Uh, Like I said, uh, I can't even imagine, uh, you know, what the healthcare workers in the states are going through right now. uh, The way they're battling this and helping out uh, so many people every day fight the COVID virus. Uh, So thank you uh, for your help and thank you for giving us time
2: and i the only thing i would say is you know it is okay to be scared because it is scary we are all scared even as healthcare workers when we come back home it's it's you know it's scary for me to imagine that you know i could have it and i could give it to a loved one of mine uh but we are if we are doing our part and we are still you know trying to help people it would be really 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 helpful if people do their part and you know listen to guidelines and instructions and not going to social gatherings and social distance themselves I cannot stress that that enough
0: that's a very strong message going out there from a professional doctor to all the listeners thank you I don't think we could have ended this on a better note thanks, thanks. no problem that was incredibly insightful and uh, I can only apologize to my listeners in case I missed out on some important questions that I should have probably asked. Uh, But you might understand that I'm also a little overwhelmed by the situation that I've been put in. And uh, Yusuf, what are your thoughts?
1: I mean, it just does not get better than that. I mean, guys, now you've heard it from the doctor herself. Stay at home. That's the best thing you can do for the medical experts out there fighting the virus hands on just stay at home maintain social distancing and i mean i would really like to thank her again for taking time out and ashwin seriously what else startup owner lawyer and now a doctor
0: no i think uh, what matters for me is uh, not uh, you know who I get on board but I think uh, the kind of information I can put there put out there for the listeners I think that that matters to me more and that's why I'm a little serious also today because you know what I've heard uh, you know it really shakes me up uh, because there are so many health workers out there uh, like uh, not, not just you know in India but all across the globe like the person who we were just talking to uh, you know they're risking their lives every single day, and you know we don't even realize what what issues and what problems they can also even go through. Uh, and uh, my prayers to the, my prayers uh, for them, and my support, my encouragement, and I hope that we all, uh, you, me, the listeners, can thank all the frontline workers helping combat this pandemic from the bottom of our hearts. And that's all I can say today as absolutely. my closing. Part.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And no it really and you know, it's actually true. It's all about the information. And you know, in the I think the first five days, we have tried our level best to bring out as much relevant information as we can. And I hope it's coming of some use to each and everyone who's been listening to us. But hats off and guys, just one thing
0: this guy has been literally burning the midnight oil. So boss, please get some sleep today. It's a Sunday. Remember that? <laughs> yes, I know. I have been losing a lot of sleep over these podcasts but yeah, I'll try to get some uh, sleep today finally. Hopefully, now it a I have to hai. Abhi isse, isko edit So I don't know when I'll what I'll do. But yes, uh, I have, we, we both have been working hard and uh, we'll continue doing uh, this uh, because we want our listeners to get uh, the right perspective, the right information, and i only expect them to come back to listen to us tomorrow again for day six as we take the discussion further during this national lockdown so please tune in tomorrow